the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And of course, as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and uh, you can grab the program there. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us. Hope your weekend's uh, going fine so far. And uh, we have a good program for you today. We're going to be talking about some top stories of this past week, some economic data. And then joining me in just a little bit, Mr. Robert Rinch. Uh, and uh, he is an attorney. He uh, has a very successful uh, podcast. He's written many books. Um, he got his law degree from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He practiced law in securities and mergers and acquisitions before landing at his current uh, employment, which is at the Liberty Fund. And we're going to be talking about um, the just uh, how much Wall Street and the financial institutions have changed out there. So picture this in your mind. Obviously, you work very hard for your money, uh, or you did if you're already retired. And you've accumulated wealth and uh, you want to be an investor. So you invest that money. You invest that money and expect the company to be run from the top down with their first and foremost uh, objective, which is to do as best as possible um, and create growth and a return on your investment. Uh, so they're using your money, and of course your expectations and their responsibility is to do that. Well, that's not the case anymore. Politics um, and ideology have really entered all aspects of um, our lives, including uh, our investments and uh, the institutions that we entrust to handle that properly, uh, these publicly traded companies in particular when I say that. Um, so we're going to be talking about what's going on behind the curtain that you may not know about. Because, of course, like many other things, whether it's CRT or uh, weather slash climate uh, issues that are uh, being presented in a one-sided way or worse, totally hidden from you, um, it, all of that is also going on in the, uh, in the financial world. And we're going to let you know about it today and give you specifics and help you to be more educated on, uh, again, what's being done with your hard-earned money. So you have this expectation. You've probably had it for some time, but it might not be correct. So stay tuned to learn quite a bit today about that. Um, and, um, you know, obviously, very, very busy week. Um, the atrocities continue over in uh, Western Europe um, where we see Ukraine uh, just being decimated uh, by the Russians. I mean, you know, it's pretty bad when they capture on film uh, 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 
you know, a maternity hospital being bombed, a lady actually being hauled out in the middle of giving birth to a new life on this earth. Uh, And women and children, men, young, old, uh, it doesn't matter, being killed. Um, And that's what we saw this week again and continue to see it. Um, it's just, it's such a shame because, you know, these things will never change when you have people like Vladimir Putin, um, and others who have such dark hearts and, uh, are just pure evil and cruel. And, um, it's, it's, it's a shame to see the reason I bring it up, of course, also is because there is a financial connection to all of this. Um, What we saw this week is, number one, and first off, the World Bank announced a package of emergency loans and grants for Ukraine worth over $700 million. So according to the World Bank, the loans and grants will help the government provide critical services to the Ukrainian people, including wages for hospital workers pensions for the elderly, and social programs for the vulnerable. The package includes a $350 million loan supplement to a prior World Bank loan, and that augmented by about $139 million through guarantees from the Netherlands and Sweden. It's also made up of about $134 million in grants from Britain, Denmark, Latvia, Lithuania, and Iceland, as well as $100 million of financing from Japan, resulting in the total mobilized support of $723 million. So the World Bank Group is taking uh, pretty quick action to support Ukraine and its people in the face of the violence and extreme uh, disruption that's been caused by the Russians, by Vladimir Putin. Um, And uh, you've seen, like I said, some pretty quick uh, activity there by the president of the World Bank, David Malpass. So the way this works is Ukraine joined the World Bank in 1992. And since then, the international financial institution has provided more than $14 billion to the country Uh, in around 90 projects and programs. So the bank said, uh, and by the way, when they joined 1992, that was right after they broke off from Russia. Um, The bank said it was also working on uh, on another package of support for Ukraine in the coming months, totaling about $3 billion, as well as additional support for neighboring countries that are taking the Ukrainian uh, refugees. So what's really important here is that the money gets to the right people, the right causes, the right reasons. We have to follow where all of this money goes. Where is it going to land, basically? You know, there's a lot of corruption. And why is this important to you? Well, it's your money, some of it. So to understand the uh, International Monetary Fund, Uh, or excuse me, the World Bank, Um, our voting power is 15.8%. The next closest is Japan at 6.84. 
So because we're the biggest player in the World Bank, we have the most when it comes to uh, voting power. So um, uh, the bulk of our money is hopefully looked after because of that. But again, this is your hard-earned money, and and I want to make sure you're aware of besides the atrocities from the uh, human level of uh, of just feeling so bad for these people, the the money side, and again how it impacts you. Now the International Monetary Fund or the IMF also came out this week and approved 1.4 billion dollars in emergency loans for Ukraine to help them uh, for the basically the same reasons. It's all about the same person behind this, Vladimir Putin, who, like I said, is evil uh, and cruel. Um, he kills people. He assassinates people. He throws his opponents, if he doesn't kill them, in jail. Uh, he takes their wealth, seizes their assets, uh, doesn't really care about anybody other than himself, uh, as most crazy people uh, seem to to. To, to be like um, and uh, but anyway the Russian military invasion of Ukraine has been responsible for these massive humanitarian economic crises and uh, the IMF managing director Georgieva uh, she said you know that they want to try to fix this so they've got this uh, these funds coming from something that's called rapid financing instrument or an RFI that's going to help in a more urgent way with uh, partners. Um, even the Russian executive director, who is the board's most senior member at the IMF and serves as its honorary dean, only spoke briefly while all this was being drafted, telling the board members that, quote, I pray for peace, unquote. So hopefully that is uh, legitimate and they really are praying for peace and not just uh, kind of towing the line behind the scenes as far as what uh, Putin is doing. So, like I said, same thing there with the uh, with the IMF, just like the World Bank. We're the biggest stakeholders. Our money, it's mostly our money uh, or at least the majority uh, over all the other country members. Um, that's, that's our money. So we need to know where it's going, how it's going to be used. Is it going to fall into the wrong hands because of corruption or theft, um, and all the other evil that goes with it? Or is it going to end up in, in the right places? Um, we also saw this week, as far as financial impacts on Russia, among others, the o- Ohio Attorney General, the guy's name is David Yost, uh, is seeking to remove Russian assets from state pension funds in Ohio. Makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? I mean, his argument makes uh, perfect sense to me that capitalization of Russian companies is helping their economy to continue to run. We don't want to reward Russia just like we don't want to reward China or other uh, bad countries um, in their bad leadership, I should say. So, you know, he said that they're looking into this issue. They didn't know it wasn't obvious at first how much they had in public pension funds that were invested just from Ohio and Russia, $300 million. 
So, like he said, there's a lot of reason to consider divesting from uh, Russia and China as well because of all of the, you know, the, 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 the danger and the evil that they're responsible for. You know, we've talked about this over the last uh, four years, five years in particular, uh, especially with um, China. You know, you, you just don't want to be involved and you definitely don't want to financially reward and support the stuff that they're doing. You know, this whole globalization and, you know, one union, if you will, when it comes to the economies and finances is baloney. And all those that have been selling it for the last 25 or 30 years are dark souls, as far as I'm concerned, only looking out for themselves. How can they enrich themselves? How can they um, create more power power for themselves and you know, get in that bubble with the others that feel the same way they do and live their lives the same way they do and have the disregard for ordinary people, much less the downtrodden. So um, we don't need to be invested in, in Russia or China or Syria or Iran. We just don't need it. And, you know, they've been forcing the the issue and the argument that we do. Well, we don't. That's for darn sure. And um, I give a lot of credit to the uh, attorney general from Ohio and the other uh, uh, attorney generals who not only are trying to protect the southern border here and keep us safe from, um, you know, whether it's gang members or just criminals or the uh, the the fentanyl and the opioids that are coming over, um, or if it's for them to get as many people over, them meaning um, the progressives, the liberals, the, the Democrats, get as many people over into the country as they can right now, and then secretly bust them or fly them uh, to their uh, voting districts of choice. Um, all that has to stop. It just has to stop. And then what we heard this week, finally, uh, Biden announced Tuesday that the United States is banning Russian oil imports. Well, that's, man, that's breaking news, isn't it? So fortunately, we're going to stop about 500 or 600,000 barrels per day from coming into the country. I don't know how quickly they're going to be able to do it. They're talking about the ban being effective immediately, but we know that's not going to happen. Um, But, yeah, so finally, we're going to say no to Russian crude, to their liquefied gas. You know, we actually bring their coal into this country. How stupid. Again, I, I know that might offend some people when I use that word, but it is. It's the only word that I can really use that makes sense. How stupid is it? That you've got this raging war on American energy and you're bringing in Russia, uh, Russian crude oil and coal and other petroleum products. You know, if you support that, that then, well, I'm not going to say it, but you're not listening to this program if you support that. So I don't even have to say it. But, um, You know, this decision, we didn't lead on this like we should have. It came after the European Union confirmed that they were going to slash their gas imports. Now, they obviously have even more 
reliance on Russian gas imports. Two-thirds of their uh, gas imports come from, from Russia. That's their fault, too, from becoming dependent on a dictator like Vladimir Putin. How? Who makes these decisions? Why would you put yourself in that position? I mean, they Putin has them over a barrel. So, you know, Biden can't even get Saudi Arabia, the United, United Arab Emirates and others to, to take his call, to take his call. They've already poked him in the eye two, three, four times when he verbally asked OPEC plus, which plus is Russia, to ramp up production and they said no now they won't even take his calls and and who are we going to replace the russian oil with oh how about venezuela yeah there's maduro there's a dictator another murderer literally how about iran gosh yeah boy leadership there really thinks uh thinks well of us they're gonna they're gonna create a great deal for us what about libya or Qatar? it's it's this is insane we can be totally energy independent we can be exporters our businesses and workers here can not only create enough energy for us thank the good lord but we can export it and they can make money God bless capitalism, but are they going to let it happen? No. So you see these geopolitical plates that are really shifting. You see China and Russia and Iran and Venezuela and Syria and whoever else are creating these very, very strong alliances. And um, it takes up to this week for the administration to have the, uh, the nerve, we can say. To say, you know, we're going to ban Russian oil, which I think they were making, Putin's making about a billion dollars a day off of us. That's a nice transfer of wealth, isn't it? There again, that's your money. Aren't you glad that you work so hard and then pay all those taxes and then see how the government uses it to make itself as big as it can and then to misuse those funds in, in many, many ways, including a billion dollars a day to Russia. And then they say, hey, there's all these permits that are available. They can be drilling now. That's a lie. Because even if there is a permit there, first you have to determine if there's energy there, if there's a resource. And then you've got to go through all the legal, financial, the regulatory challenges that burden the industry. So that statistic is misleading, right? And I keep I come back to it again. What you know, how much other investment do we have in Russia and in other nations? And and with all this that's going on here, how is that going to, you know, say these countries that own investments in Russia, how's that going to impact their balance sheets? Is China going to get angry and run interference and sell U.S. debt? Are they going to make a move in Taiwan? A lot of uncertainties. 
A lot of uncertainties. Not necessary, but we have them, don't we? And I have to say this because um, it's deserved, but Biden's climate czar, John Kerry, at a energy meeting this, this week in Houston, actually said that while the Ukraine refugee crisis is a, quote, problem, unquote, yeah, it's a problem, right? He said that pales in comparison to the wave of migration that will come if climate change is not addressed. There's a special place for that guy, man. I guarantee it. So um, he said that the United States must not lose sight of its path towards clean energy now that the Russian-Ukraine war has accelerated. What does that mean? I think it means like they're starting to feel like they're losing the hold that they had. Right? People are paying four, five, six, seven dollars a gallon for gas, much less all the other things that have inflated, which I'll get to in just a little bit. People are figuring them out, not using our own resources and keeping energy as low as we can. Look, we all live in the same snow globe. Just remember that all this garbage that you hear, we're all in the same snow globe. And them saying that we're going to do X, Y, and Z with uh, weather or climate. Um, And at the exact same time, they don't care about China or Russia or Iran or whoever. Fill in the blank. And you see that their methane productions up 500%. What good does it do? None. None. And it actually does bad because it hurts all the good people out there that should be benefiting from our lower energy cost, just like we should control our distribution lines. So, you know, you've got Kerry running around. This guy thinks he's something, which is a joke. You know, making speeches in between his Botox shots. He's totally disconnected. Um, He won't let go of these talking points. I mean, this is his. He's married to him. And, you know, you have to wonder about his jet use and his personal yacht. You know, I don't think that's being run off of solar panels or... uh, you know, wind farms, right? No, it's not. But that's him. That's not That's not relevant to you. Not to you, you little peon. So, and he's a kept man. That's a thing, you know? He married a rich woman. So that's even more embarrassing. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. Will the Biden presidency influence stock markets? Obviously, it already has. And we'll continue to. But our white paper goes into that in more detail. It's a look at parties, politics, and potential return. Uh, So go check that out at murrayfinancialgroup.com. Economic data on the other side.
from Mid-Maryland, for Mid-Maryland, and all about Mid-Maryland. Free Talk, 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD. I got a lot of kind of long-winded there uh, in the first segment, and um, I'm going to have to uh, ixnay some of the economic data. But you know the big one that, that really matters that we got this week? It was a consumer price index, the CPI, up 7.9% in February. That's the most in 40 years. And it was broad-based. It was across the board. Nothing came down in any category. The food index was up 7.9%, depending on where you want to look. Beef and veal were up 16.2%. Pork was up 14 Chicken up 13.2%. Eggs were up almost 11.5%. Citrus fruits, 16.2%. Coffee up 105 like I said, nothing listed in the Bureau of Labor Statistics data that I reviewed recorded a year-over-year decline in prices. The energy index, oh, my gosh, that intensified 25.6%, driven by a 43.6% increase in fuel oil, 38% increase in gasoline. I mean, and, and analysts are saying, This is here to stay. It's going to get worse, and it's here to stay for a while. New vehicles up, uh, medical care up, rents up, furniture and bedding up over 17%. Tools and hardware supplies up almost 9%. This is insane. And it's self-inflicted again because of uh, the distribution uh, and, well, you look at who these people are that are running things, not even the, those that the faces, but the people behind them, the puppeteers. I mean, you, this is uh, Obama administration, you, you know, the, the third version. You would have thought they would have gotten smarter, but no, they're doing even more damage now than they did before. So I guess that's just greed because, I, you know, I don't, I don't think you can. I, I don't know. I guess you can go backwards. Um, as far as just literally not being intelligent and know how to fix things and how the world really works and caring about people and wanting to help your country. Um, so I, I think it must be greed and power and money and just how badly they can mess things up like they did before. How much damage can we do, I guess, is their question. Um, and unfortunately... They're being pretty successful so far. So, um, again, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. Will the Biden presidency influence stock markets? That's the latest white paper for you. Joining me on the other side of the break, Mr. Richard Rents. Um, He is the founding editor of uh, Liberty Fund. Um, Also, uh, online journal, Law and Liberty. He hosts a podcast, uh, Liberty Law Talk. We're going to be talking about where your money goes. You know, your investment money, um, when you make investments, uh, you know, who's responsible for that? And what is their view on doing the right thing uh, and growing your wealth going forward? Stay tuned.
It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can listen to the Your Financial Editor program again or share it with someone that you uh, know and care about. And I mentioned right before the break, we're going to be jumping into uh, our subject matter today, which is really, really not only interesting, it's extremely important. So, you know, if you're uh, a listener, um, you know, you've been with us the last 24 years, we always try to make sure that we're that cutting edge. We're out there. Uh, Also, we're reminding people what's going on um, in the world of business and finance. And this is, like I said, really important. It's what's going on with um, the uh, financial institutions around the world. You know, we always say uh, Wall Street, but obviously it, it, uh, it, it goes and stretches a lot further than that. And um, what we're seeing is you work hard, uh, very hard, I know, or perhaps you already did your, your labor and you're retired and then you invest your money because you're uh, wanting that money uh, to create wealth for you, growth, return, uh, that type of thing. Well, now what we're finding is more and more uh, companies these days are being run by uh, people that uh, participate in identity politics and uh, they have their own agenda um, and um they're not putting your interests first, as they should if they're a publicly traded company, but instead uh, they're really veering off uh, the the highway uh, and into a ditch in many cases. So I'm very happy to have with me this morning Mr. Richard Wrench. Uh, he is a leading conservative scholar on American uh, constitutionalism and free markets. He's the founding editor of Liberty Fund's online journal, Law and Liberty. He hosts the podcast, Liberty Law Talk. He's an author. He received his law degree back in 2004 from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And he actually practiced law in securities and mergers and acquisitions before uh, landing at the Liberty Fund. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, and I should just stress, uh, I'm no longer at Liberty Fund. I'm now a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Oh, okay, great. Well, thanks so much yeah. for uh, for correcting that and pointing it out, and we appreciate it. So um, I guess we'll go back uh, sometime and ask you, what was it like when you were practicing law in securities and mergers and acquisitions, compare, com- really compared to what it is now? Well, um, you know, I haven't been uh, in law practice for a number of years, so I, I couldn't, con- you know, make a personal uh, reflection there. What I notice from what I'm reading, uh, from conversations that I'm having, is that many large law firms uh, themselves have become quite, quote, woke, and are also responding to a lot of client pressures to become um, – uh, much more progressive to become much more aware of the skin color and the gender of their lawyers who are working on 
client files uh, to to sort of increase you know the quote diversity uh, percentage time of of their lawyers and to sort of respond to a lot of these concerns uh, that are being raised that capitalism now can only be ethical if it is focused on uh, you know the green energy revolution if it is uh, very aware that opportunities should be doled out to people on the basis of the color of their skin or what their various genders might be and uh, you know and also thinking about governance itself governance issues shouldn't necessarily be done for profit but should be done for these sort of grand progressive objectives and you know that that is um, definitely has made its way into law firms it was there when i was practicing but only in seed form it hadn't yet blossomed into you know what you're seeing now where to take for example coca-cola uh actually wanted to and they pulled back on this which was good but they actually wanted to mandate the you know the color of the skin of the lawyers working on their file by their various by various law firms so it's that uh goes on and of course our leading law firms are very politically progressive and are very much a part of, uh, you know, the overall matrix of, you know, the Democratic Party, the large government, the administrative state, all of these sorts of and uh, objectives that that has. And, of course, large law firms contribute in various ways, pro bono hours, to various progressive you know, legal objectives. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that overview. And then also I, I would just add, uh, it's probably not pro bono because we know that with these spending packages and various things that, uh, come out of, uh, Congress, um, and how they support trial lawyers in particular, a lot of that money, oh. uh, ends yep. up in their yep, pool, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So you wrote a great article titled Larry Fink of BlackRock and His Global Crusade to Advance Identity Politics. Uh, so we've had, I've done the program here since I founded it uh, back in 1997. We've talked about Fink over the years. Um, you know, he carries water for the Democratic Party. He was salivating during the last election in 2016, because if uh, Hillary won, he thought he was going to be the Treasury Secretary, which has been, you know, his, uh, you know, kind of just his quest, it seems, for many, many years. Uh, but anyway, give our, our listeners an overview of what you think uh, about Larry Fink and, and uh, what type of uh, uh, CEO and businessman he is. Yeah, so Larry Fink is enormously successful. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. He's the CEO of BlackRock, uh, which is an international investment firm that has a $10 trillion global portfolio. His company and the money of his clients, he has heavily invested in China uh, and made that decision a number of years ago. And they have only increased those efforts and that uh, strategy, that investment strategy to, to go all in on China and on the future of China. At, at the same time, uh, and, and this is sort of a paradox or a contradiction, seemingly, um, he is also heavily invested in the environmental, social, and corporate governance capitalism that has emerged in the last 
five years dominating the uh, thinking and outlook of many uh, large American corporations in the Fortune you know, 100 all the way throughout the really the Fortune 500. And it's something that I touched on in, in, my, in my first answer. It's this idea that uh, you know, you have to be heavily invested in diversity policies and environmental policies and various progressive uh, notions about race and you know, even the anti-racist or, you know, identity politics agenda has to be something you're putting into your the bloodstream of your company. And, and Fink has been supportive of all of that. I think where he and they have really insisted uh, that the companies that they invest in engage in these sorts of internal governance policies. Where Larry Fink has really made a mark is on the environment. And uh, BlackRock supporting board directors on boards of energy companies who are actively trying to steer those energy companies into clean energy, into green energy, uh, and the markets for those, and steering them away from investing in fossil fuel development. And this does not seem to have much of a market correlation unless the government is actively helping to create these markets. That's one thing. The second thing is with, say, ExxonMobil. Larry Fink helped engineer three activist directors on the ExxonMobil board in 2021, and then they immediately start trying to get ExxonMobil to divest its holdings in uh, oil fields or potential new fossil fuel developments around the world. I think one was in Mozambique, Mozambique, another was in Vietnam. And this sort of now begins to look uh, precious uh, and a bit ridiculous, given the energy crunch that we have entered in the last few months. And now with what Putin has done in Ukraine, this has sort of revealed how weak these green energy technologies are how they are still not even remotely capable of replacing fossil fuel technology, how expensive they are. And now it seems to put us at risk in terms of security. So that's the Larry Fink agenda. And I can go on about China. China is also another dangerous aspect of what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I kind of wanted to go back to that quickly because, uh, like you said, they're heavily invested in China have kind of sold their souls, if you will, um, from what I've seen over the years. And, um, and and then we say, well, okay, he's going to put activists on the board of Exxon and, and, and others and punish the shareholders uh, who have worked very hard their whole life, invested in these companies, uh, employees perhaps that had that stock and retired and depend on it. And now they're at the mercy of some, uh, you know, couple goofballs sitting in the boardroom. Um, mm. Yet they don't acknowledge that we all live in the same snow globe. All of us do. So we're yeah. punishing our people here in the United States. We'll take it on an individual level right now with literally folks woke, you know, wake up this morning and say, boy, how am I going to either fuel my car, heat my home, um, or do I have to make, uh, you know, another decision when it comes to the grocery aisle? You know, the whole thing with inflation. And at the same time, you've got China ramping up coal production. It is the stupidest mentality and argument in the world. And thank goodness it's finally getting out there. No, and I think um, it's this 
sort of return to reality that a lot of people are writing about, this sort of escape from the hard uh, uh, facts of human existence and what it takes to support an economy uh, like America's, like Europe's. And this, the notion that wind or, or you know, solar could do this uh, in, in not just support it, but allow us to have a growing economy and, and an economy where energy is not a luxury good. I mean, energy has never been a luxury good uh, in, in the American economy. Our focus has always been to make energy affordable so that we can have uh, robust growth and better standards of living. And this hasn't been the approach in Europe uh, for decades. Uh, energy has become quite expensive. And, the, you know, the question right now is uh, the only way you're able to make that plausible is apparently they've tied their economy to Russia. And, our, you know, the situation we're seeing from Larry Fink is, oh, no, 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 America will be like China's carbon offset as China is robustly committed to fossil fuel growth while we – turn away from it and, and create a government regulatory framework by which fossil fuel companies now labor under immense burdens. And of course, if capital is no longer falling in those areas, then it's only going to make that energy more expensive and it's going to make the companies not want to go into that, that field because or expand in that field because they don't know what, what the regulatory uh, uh, framework is going to be like and if they can even turn a profit. So you know, the, the right now, the situation you keep hearing from the Biden administration, they have all the leases they need to start developing and ramp up production. But that happens under an immense burden for them to go into these areas, while at the same time, very profitable uh, uh, fields of exploration are off limits you know, by the federal government, including in the Gulf of Mexico. A huge lease, I think, is about to expire and it's not going to be renewed by the federal government for private oil companies to keep developing oil there. So this is this is the choice uh, that we're making. Larry Fink, in consult with the SEC, uh, with the New York Stock Exchange, with the overall progressive leadership in our country, wants to force us in a green energy direction. Uh, Putin seems to have, uh, you know, uh, awoken uh, or uh, awakened many people to this reality, and now there's going to be a we're going to have a contest. I think, and that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I you know, if you look for a silver lining of all of this death and destruction, um, and just the the horrific uh, things that are going on in Ukraine, uh, hopefully that is going to be that silver lining that again we become even more apparent, especially when you see these CPI numbers and, you know, the year over year stuff. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Richard Wrench. Uh, he is a leading conservative scholar on American uh, constitutionalism and uh, free markets. And uh, we'll get his uh, take uh, as we, uh, as I said, wrap things up. Stay tuned. Congratulations to the Oakdale Boys, 2022 state champions. From the home of Frederick County Sports, 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can uh, listen to the program there. 
uh, as well. And we're wrapping things up with my guest this morning, Mr. Richard uh, Reinch, and uh, he's uh, uh, a senior fellow and columnist at the Daily Signal. Um, and that's where I saw this great article that he wrote uh, titled Larry Fink of BlackRock and his global crusade to advance identity politics. Um, as he mentioned, uh, Larry Fink, you know, being the CEO of BlackRock, this is the largest asset management firm in the world and has a lot of sway. And uh, he just is uh, misusing, in my opinion, his position. Uh, we, you know, try to do as little as possible with uh, with uh, that company. So and I think a lot of people are starting to feel that way. So anyway, um, Richard, uh, you know, where do you think we go from here with companies like BlackRock and others that aren't putting shareholders, these public companies that aren't putting shareholders interest first? Well, I, you know, so Larry Fink is aware of this. He's aware that uh, this approach could potentially put him at a competitive disadvantage uh, with regard to, you know, just actual returns because of these sorts of different objectives that are being put forward for corporate action. Uh, so the way to get around that is to enlist as many power players uh, in the public company uh, uh, market uh, behind his agenda and then also to get the government behind this agenda so that it becomes difficult, if not impossible, for public companies to maneuver around these ESG objectives. And even, you know, Larry Fink wants the SEC to regulate private companies with these ESG objectives and disclosure requirements, even though the SEC is not actually supposed to regulate private companies, you know, right? So this is, this is one way they're trying to get around this. Um, my, my sense is this, as we were talking about earlier, this kind of return uh, to reality, this need to actually uh, have an economy that works for America, a broad-based economy, is going to emerge again in many people's minds. I think many corporate directors, as the ESG stuff rolls on and really starts to have teeth, are inevitably going to start pushing against it quietly uh, in other ways. I just saw you know, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's been really good on pushing against woke capitalism, a uh, you know, really successful entrepreneur in his own right, noting today how many corporate directors are at least privately criticizing this kind of capitalism. And we just need a, you know, a little more courage to come out and be public about it and to make decisions with their companies against it. But I think the competitive, I mean, an economy as large as ours with as many companies as exist, competitive opportunities are going to emerge to expose ESG for what it does and what it what it represents. So I think that has to be the focus, and we have to also make sure that the government can't impose it economy-wide and sort of prevent that competitive pressure from emerging. Yeah. So I, I think that's uh, the thing to keep in mind. And then also, you know, Larry Fink and what he's done in China, my sense is could be his long-term undoing. Um, uh, given the way our economy and the Chinese economy, which are now very closely aligned in many respects, but I think in the coming years that they're going to diverge. They'll have to diverge because of the type of country China is becoming. Yeah, no, amen, and I hope that's exactly what happens. Uh, and uh, 
that we all see what's going on for what it really is. My guest this morning has been Mr. Richard Wrench, and uh, he you can find his uh, great writing uh, at uh, the Daily Signal and the Heritage and uh, check it out. Richard, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was great. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. That does it for us. And I hope everybody enjoyed uh, the, uh, the conversation this morning. We'll talk with you on the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick. Weekday mornings live, 550, And then we'll see you back here next uh, Saturday. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock 